Hey, this is Adao Steve from the Sportsnet.ca, and you're listening to the Jays Journal Podcast with Ari Shapiro. Journal and from the deep recesses of my baseball mind. And right now, today on this show, I've got something special for you. A great round table comprised of Blue Jay Hunter, Ian Hunter, along with Minor League Jays Journal guru Craig Borden, and Cole Shelton from SB Nation, our friend who drops in to discuss all things Blue Jays. And we're going to cover a lot of issues on this show, a lot of fascinating subjects, including looking at the inevitability of what injuries mean, the wondrous and healthy sight of a Devin Travis regularly in spring training, my goodness, which hopefuls will make the jump and maybe change the paradigm a little bit for John Gibbons, and of course the psychology of baseball and the changing nature of personnel. And this is a year that is all about a state of flux and transition, so it'll be really fascinating for me to speak with these baseball writers and get their opinions for you to consume so you can decide for yourself what this Blue Jays team really is all about in 2018. And of course, on the Jays Journal website itself, which you should check out at www.jaysjournal.com, trending today are a series of articles I think you'll get a real, real kick out of. You've got to check them out. First writer Victor Riancho looks at how Fangraphs is putting the team at a record of 87-55 and 55 and finishing in the second wildcard spot. Wow, this is, this is really great news. I mean, to imagine that amidst all this tumultuousness and frustration and cynicism that many fans have, baseball pundits themselves are saying this Blue Jays team will probably end up in a playoff spot. It's not the most sexy and romantic of playoff spots, but it'll do when you can just simply win one single baseball game to dethrone a uh, Boston Red Sox or New York Yankees. Think about that. That's that's really astonishing. And right behind them, of course, are the Los Angeles Angels in competition for that spot, or as I like to call that team, Mike Trout, a, a Japanese phenom and an aging demigod named Albert Pujols. So take a look at that article to appreciate why the Blue Jays will have some competition from the Angels in that regard. Next, writer Brendan Panikar looks at the non-roster invitees, or NRIs as he calls them. It's not my favorite acronym right now for a variety of reasons. And he looks at their chances of making the 40-man roster this spring. I'm talking about names like Craig Breslow and Al Albuquerque, Tyler Clippert, and Jake Patricka. All I can say is this, farewell Ezequiel Carrera. I was a huge fan, but I think you already knew that. Next, site expert Clayton Richet looks at whether Jose Bautista has anything left in the tank before he decides to set himself out to pasture and retire. Wow, are we really talking about the same Jose Bautista, the legendary Blue Jay who two years ago wouldn't give us a discount and was projected mostly in his mind to earn $30 million a year? Makes me wish I had a TARDIS so I could go back in time and warn him. Actually, check that. If I had a time machine, I'd probably go back and warn MLB union boss Tony Clark that there's a lot of trouble brewing. And finally, a new writer to the Jays Journal, Charlie Marshall, looks at the Blue Jays bullpen and makes the argument that with Asuna, Tepera, O, Barnes and Loop already penciled into the season, that it basically leaves only two spots remaining between such illustrious names like Axford and Clippard and Albuquerque and Mesa and Breslow. And of course, not enough is really being said about the greatest wild card of them all, Joe Biagini, which makes me really wonder if I've gone absolutely insane because I believe Joe Biagini should be their high leverage option in late innings, not just based on what he's done, but because he's so wildly unique and different that he might bring something to this team that it's sorely lacking, which is character. 
So that being said, and without further delay, let's go straight into a roundtable on this episode and talk about the passion that really unites all of you listeners when it comes to Toronto Blue Jays baseball here on the Jays Journal Podcast. So on tonight's roundtable, I'm thrilled to have with me three really hardcore baseball writers. I mean, these guys really know their Blue Jays. And I want to start by introducing them around the table quickly. My first member of this panel, you know him as a popular Toronto Blue Jays blogger and writer across the country. He's a contributor with Sporting News MLB and also runs the critically acclaimed BlueJayHunter.com website. Ian Hunter is back on the show. Ian, good to have you back. Hey, Rory. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to find time in your schedule because I know you're a busy guy. So I appreciate you doing this. My next guest is a feature writer at NBL Canada and a contributor with SB Nation's Raptor HQ and the Canadian Baseball Network. Glad to have Cole Shelton back with us. Cole, it's been a long time. Great having you aboard. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. I was telling you earlier off microphone that we can't let it be this long. I think it's been like half a year or something like that. And uh, so much has changed. And we've got so much to catch up on tonight. The final member of tonight's panel is a staff writer at the Jays Journal and the co-host of a new show called Jays Birdwatching, where you can enjoy, enjoy his work simultaneously as the game is broadcast. He's a Blue Jays minor league guru, our Jays Journal minor league guru, and a fixture on the show. Please welcome back Craig Borden to the podcast. Craig, how's it hanging? It is so well, so well. <laughs> so well. What a Not great as good as Joe Biagini's start today, but pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Look at that. You're talking Biagini, and I haven't even had a chance to introduce you properly. So, gents, let's get right down mm-hmm. to brass tacks, because um, it's been about a week and a half since I had the last show, and now, of course, I plan to release a flurry of different roundtables. And I wanted all three of you together because I really wanted to look at this spring training on a more granular level, because I know you all have various different perspectives and relationships with minor league players, major league players. Let's start with what I like to call the inevitability of anticipated injuries. And I think you all know what I'm talking about. And I want to start with you, Ian. It's been a rough week on that front. I mean, right out, right out of the gate, after all the different conversations you and I have had about how they need to stay healthy, the Blue Jays are already reporting the kind of doom and gloom that you know is going to be an issue for a lot of fans who are emotionally committed. In particular, I'm talking about Marcus Stroman and his inflammation in his shoulder. I'm talking about Troy Tulowitzki and his challenge with bone spurs and how to get over that so he can still be a serviceable player. And now we've learned, of course, additional news in particular. How could I forget everybody's favorite representative for the balding community, Steve Pierce? So here we are realizing that these are players that are players we have to rely on this year. What are your thoughts about how a fan is supposed to interpret these injuries and what advice maybe you guys might give as a panel on how we should philosophically look at all these challenges? I I wouldn't be all too concerned about them, uh, considering that in previous years, you know, Marcus Stroman was essentially done for the season in spring training um, after his ACL injury and then Michael Saunders stepping on a sprinkler head and he was you know, essentially done for the year. Um, These injuries always tend to creep up, and it sounds like they're fairly minor. Um, In the case of Troy Tulowitzki, I feel like a lot of people kind of suspected that he wouldn't be ready for opening day anyway. So the fact that the club had came out and said that, you know, he was dealing with a bone spur wasn't all that much of an issue. And really there's no sense of urgency to hurry these guys back. If it were you know, mid, mid-August or something, and the, Bla- and the Blue Jays are in a playoff drive, I think they would be clamoring to get back, guys like Marcus Stroman. But there really is no sense in, in rushing anybody into it and trying to – and risking anything because, really, you need these guys healthy for the, for the duration of the season. If, and if there's any time where you can back off of them, it's, it's definitely spring training. So from a fan perspective, I know it seems like – you know, the sky is falling in Blue Jays spring training, but, you know, the fact that guys aren't hobbling off the field in crutches or there's no um, solid announcements about them being out for sustained periods of time, I think that's uh, it's a positive sign. I mean, it just it seems to happen every spring training. For whatever reason, the Blue Jays just always have a lot of them. I think bumps and bruises are one thing, but right now all I'm thinking is I'd rather have all these little 
nitpicky things going on with the injuries and whatnot right now rather than July through September. Right now we can play around with the depth and figure out what the heck we can do with all this stuff. You know, they have all these wonderful rookies that they got coming up through the system that are now, I would say, close to major league ready and some that are major league ready in most cases. And I think I think you guys know what I'm talking about as far as Anthony Alford is looking like a stud so far this spring. I would hate to rush him into it, but would it be the worst thing in the world if you saw him in a Toronto Blue Jay uniform to start the season and then you guys get full-on healthy before you make the big marathon of the season? And then from last year, too, there's a lot more, like, depth overall. Like, the infield, you add, they added, like, Diaz, Nagobe, Solarte, which is a lot more comfortable than playing uh, Barney and Goins, which they did for, like, half the year when Tulo and Travis were out. Yeah, our bottom basement is, like, a million times higher than it was last season, right? Troy Tulowitzki probably is not going to play a full season. Devin Travis probably isn't going to play play a full season and they really were kind of handcuffed in the outfield there last year so they brought in a slew of uh, they made a slew of trades and acquisitions to get backup outfielders and infielders in addition plus you have guys like Anthony Alford Teoscar Hernandez Dalton Pompey um, Lourdes Gurriel in the minor leagues to kind of back up that depth so now the Blue Jays just aren't calling up guys from the minor leagues. They have a ton of depth at the major league level. And that was probably one of their big faults last year. They've remedied that. And if you have, you know, a healthy Devin Travis for 110, 120 games, all of a sudden, you know, it's, uh, it raises the floor even more. So it's, I, I believe that's why the Blue Jays went out and did what they did. They, they went and got a, quant- uh, a, a large quantity of infielders and outfielders, and we're already starting to see it. Uh, those moves are paying off. Ironic that you mentioned Devin Travis, who's kind of like the last man standing in that scenario now, even though you'd think, given his history, he'd be the first one out. H- how great has it been, Cole, to see Devin Travis taking cuts in spring training, smiling and giving fans the impression that, hey, maybe I'll actually show up consistently this season and, of course, be a huge difference maker in the lineup? I think it's huge for them because, like, when Travis was healthy, he was one of their, like, top hitters. And then having him back, they, like, Gibbons can easily slide him into the leadoff spot because, really, they don't really know who the leadoff hitter is going to be right now. And if Travis is healthy, he showed he's had success in the leadoff hitter. And then, once again, it just adds, like, better overall depth because having Travis is going to be better than playing Diaz at second or Solarte, whatever they end up doing. I just love seeing Devin Travis at the top of the lineup. I don't know how much you guys remember. I know you guys are about the same age as all of us, but as a kid watching the Philadelphia Phillies in the World Series against us, how annoying was having Lenny Dykstra, a guy that wasn't even the super fast guy, but that spark at the top of the lineup just sets the whole thing up. you got Devin Travis in front of Donaldson, and then the rest of the bashers come in. That's pretty exciting to watch him just you know, light everything up and ignite the lineup right off every day. So... If we can get him back in the full health and get him hitting, that's just lights out for the lineup, I think. Yeah, I mean, I wrote about this earlier this week, and it's you when you see like Devin Travis hasn't finished his season the last three years. So when his livelihood was taken away from him the last three years, for him to suddenly come back this spring training healthy, it's like he is a rejuvenated player. He's just He's just simply happy to be out there, and I don't think there's anybody out there rooting against him. I think everybody's rooting for him, and the the best Blue Jays team is one probably with Devin Travis um, hitting hitting leadoff for the Blue Jays because I just think back to last May, uh, Devin Travis hit the cover off the ball, and coincidentally the team went 18 and 10. They had their most successful month of the whole season. So. Um, I, I'm not expecting Travis to to play a full season. I'm hoping that he'll be healthy for a full season. But um, having him in the in the batting order as much as possible can only benefit this team. I'm racking my brain trying to remember the last time I watched a Toronto Blue Jays game, either live or over television, where I could appreciate a spark plug at the top of the order. 
And you mentioned that, Craig. That would really change the complexion of what this lineup can do, especially when you go on the road and you get the first at-bat and you know you can bring out Devin Travis for what will be four quality at-bats. I mean, this is a player notorious for going deep into counts and exercising the kind of plate control that a lot of players didn't have last year. Who else do you look for? And I want to go around the panel on this. If we look at some of these hopefuls in spring training, you brought up Anthony Alford, for example. If he plays well enough to make this team, it really changes the options for John Gibbons. Give me maybe a player or two that each of you are watching that you really secretly hope will make this squad specifically because they will mix things up and make watching Blue Jay games a lot less predictable than they were before. Start with you there, Craig. Uh, well, as far as all the guys go, I'd really like what I've seen out of Danny Jansen this summer or spring so far, and I know you know I have a man crush on him, but he's got a beautiful swing, and I don't know if anybody saw him gun out that guy in the Phillies game the other day, but a bad pitch. He dug it out of the dirt from the batter's side and just rifled the guy out at second. Just the fact that we, you know, Luke Maley aside, <laughs> that his defense is pretty solid, but having somebody like Danny Jansen that can have you a great stick and bring in a good, solid defensive play like that, that's a little bit more exciting to me. I just don't think they're going to bring him up just because they're not going to give him enough bats probably right off the bat. For me, I'd probably say, uh, I mean, we've already talked about him a few times, but Anthony Alford. I mean, he's, uh, uh, John Gibbons said earlier today, he's one of the, one of his, his players that he's seen most improve the past couple of years. And, uh, you know, playing in the Mexican Winter League probably really benefited his game. And it sounds like all reports from spring training is that he looks fantastic at the plate and in the field. Um, and I feel like the floor, I mean, yes, Kevin Pilar is an established center fielder. But, you know, I, I, I feel like the floor is could be easily surpassed there in center field. And maybe all it takes is a solid, you know, two or three months down in triple in a for, for Alfred to start pushing the issue. Um, because, you know, I think ideally he is the, the, the future center fielder for the Toronto Blue Jays. And, um, you know, as impressive uh, as a defensive outfielder as Kevin Pillar is, I mean, he's just shown that he really can't hit all that well at the major league level. So to me, the upside for Alfred is there. Um, it sounds like the organization is really high on him and John Gibbons really, really likes Alfred, so um and the fact that he made his major league de- debut last year he's already broken the barrier shows that he has the talent and um I think at some point he'll be with the Blue Jays but I don't I don't see him cracking the opening day roster but would love to see him in Toronto sooner rather than later well I mean you guys hit like the two on the head of Alfred and Jansen because those would be my two but just like a third guy is Teoscar Hernandez because he had a solid September but a lot of everyone says you can't believe what you see in September. So I'd like to see him get like at bats in majors and see if like September was a fluke or if he can actually be like an everyday right fielder for this team eventually or move over to left. I have to interject one thing. Imagine an outfield with Randall Grichuk, Kevin Pillar, and Anthony Alford. You've got three guys that are center field worthy. <laughs> Just good luck getting a ball into that gap or anything with those guys diving all over the place, right? Well, there's there's no question defensively they would be well-respected in baseball and would probably earn the respect of the fans um, I, and media, I have no doubt. My concern is this, though, and I'm, I'm going to start with you on, on this one, Ian. Is this outfield going to be good enough, knowing what the traditional standards or pillars are in the way that you build a Major League Baseball outfield? Because let's just be clear about that. We're talking about our Major League team a team that has had some great outfielders in the past and and a trio of outfielders that set the standard many moons ago, uh, maybe longer than I wish to recollect because it was a really long time ago. Assuming that Steve Pierce is injured and might be out of commission for a short time, that means more Curtis Granderson at bats, and that means more Anthony Anthony Alford as a possibility. What's your optimal scenario? And I want to know all of you, what is your ultimate... optimal scenario and do you think it'll be good enough to compete on a day in day out baseball adventure where you know you're going to come up against some teams where you have to have the best possible players on the field Um, well I mean I think they'll probably be about league average Um, they're not a top 
no matter which alignment you use, I don't think they're a top five outfield by any means, but they are whichever uh, alignment the Blue Jays go with. I mean, they're definitely a huge, vast improvement over what was paraded out there last year. I mean, if anything, they're probably going with a, with a run prevention model rather than a run creation model um, with Grichuk and and Pilar as as plus defenders. And then um, whoever you use kind of out there in in left field, if it's Granderson and uh, and a Pierce platoon, I mean, maybe that's kind of a minus defender right there in left field. But um, yeah, I would say, you know, the the bulk of the Blue Jays uh, offense does not come from the outfield, which I feel like it's five with me because they kind of make up for it with guys like uh, with Donaldson and Smoke, and then uh, hopefully you get uh, some good production out of Morales at DH. Um, I think they'll be okay. I think they'll be adequate. Um, you know, maybe Grichik moving over to the AL East and hitting in a hitter-friendly park has some uh, some uh, some good effects, but he's still probably going to strike out quite a bit. But yeah, I would say probably you know they're probably league average, which is fine by me because they're. Uh, above average at other def- at other positions on the diamond. I just have to say one thing we would have never said a year ago, you lumped Justin Smoke into the plus offensive category. Things we wouldn't have said a year ago, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. It's weird. So, it's still weird to say, isn't it? I do like it, though. I'm just glad that he's finally you know, flipped the switch at the plate, and he was very exciting to watch, and he's been looking pretty good so far. So I think it's going to be business as usual now for him, hopefully. So he might not have the high batting average, but he's still going to have the plus power numbers and hopefully some plenty of RBIs, right? So anyway, back to the outfield thing. The uh, I think the left field platoon is going to be kind of the linchpin. You know, It's great that we got Granderson on the one year, but having – you know, Steve Pierce healthy, we all know he can hit. It's a matter of getting him in. You know, he's going to have how, how many grand slams in a row? Is he going to beat his record? <laughs> but um, just I really think Grichuk is going to stabilize right field. He's got a good bat. He's been showing it this spring. I know he did have the, the uh, wrist injury there, but he seems to be healthy and back in the lineup now. And Kevin Pillar, one way or the other, is going to play plus defense in center field. And if he does anything like he's been doing this spring – Things are looking up, right? Yeah, I think you're looking like at an average outfield. And then a major question for me is, what is Pilar and Grichuk's bat? Because Pilar did struggle a lot last year with his bat. And really, you have Alfred pushing it. I think if he can't get that bat going, like when do the Jays start to think maybe we should go to Alfred? And then Grichuk, he did strike out a ton in St. Louis. But like one of you guys said, um, the AL East, ballparks that hit a friendly should help him so maybe that'll bring up more power and then his defense is still plus so overall I think they have like an average outfielder well you know I I was thinking about this earlier in the week when considering how interchangeable this Blue Jays team is there are a lot of moving parts we're liable this year to see probably you know 36 different potential combinations who knows what Gibbons will be doing and experimenting with as he deals with injuries and players who might give him pleasant surprises, like maybe Solarte and Diaz begin overachieving, and you know it makes the decision a little bit easier to rest Travis or Tulo that extra day. But I'm wondering, and I want to start with you on this, Cole. What happens to a team that knows that it will look remarkably different next year, and that when you look at some of these contracts and you realize the way Shapiro and Atkins are building the 2018 Blue Jays, their reality is one that at any given time, anyone could be traded or any contract could potentially be parted with. There is no untouchable. You know, I remember the good old days where you always had that one or two untouchable players you, you covet and build around. This Blue Jays team is all in flux. Is there anything to be said about the kind of unique chemistry that might be in that locker room that might differ for a team that maybe two years ago considered itself on the verge of embarking on an open window opportunity for a championship when this one knows no one's expecting them to go out of the pier very far once they leave the dock? Yeah, I do think the Jays window is like closed because this team, not even next year, this team could look a lot different in July if they fall out of it. Like you could see Dobson be moved. Garcia, Hap, Estrada, uh, just a bunch of other guys too, like Granderson, if anyone wants him, Pierce. Really, because this team could, like, you could look at almost with 10 guys probably being moved at, like, throughout the year if the, if 
uh, the, just the season goes off the rails. But, I mean, I overall, I think their team is better this year than it is than it was last year because you had regular bats going to Barney, going to Bautista, and then you change that, which I think should help them. But then overall, this team just is going to rely on Donaldson. Like if Donaldson leaves next year, their team's going to look, they're just going to try to blow it up. And then if Donaldson stays, I think Shapiro and Atkins might try to like reopen this window again and acquire some star players. It seems like kind of a similar vibe entering the, the 2015 season. Like there wasn't really many expectations for that club either. And, you know, it was the, with, it was the, the top of the division with the Red Sox. And I believe the Rays at the time were, expected to be the contenders and the Jays weren't really expected to do anything. And it's kind of similar entering this year. And yeah, they do have a, a ton of free agents coming off the books this year. Estrada, Hap, Donaldson, um, many others. You've got non-tender candidates. Like either way, it's going to probably going to be a much different looking roster next year, but I feel like winning cures all. I don't, I don't, know if there's any kind of guys are on pins and needles this year because they're out the door at the end of this year potentially but once once game starts i feel like they're kind of just in regular season mode and nothing really disrupts them yeah i think at least coming out of the gate they kind of you know the few guys that have been lingering around got to feel like there's some unfinished business here they came close twice last year was a meltdown and you still have the Pilars, the sanchez the strowmans everybody like that you got to think they got that taste and they want it back with the club as it is. So I think they're really going to have that drive to come out this year. And like I was saying, the one thing that I think is going to really be the big thing, everybody is competing for a position on this roster. It's amazing what having, you know, Kevin Pillar, like we were saying, with some possibly young guys nipping at his heels, it might light a fire under him and he might be the, the next best thing on the team. <laughs> you know, we already know he can play solid defense. The guy hit all the way through the minor leagues. We haven't really seen him do what he did in the minor leagues yet. He was batting consistently 300. So maybe is this the year? He's got the free agent thing coming up, and he's got you know young talent coming up on him. Maybe it finally flips the switch. The other big thing is, as far as next season goes, I really am wondering, like, it's going to be a news team battle from Anchorman as far as all the young kids and everybody coming in next season trying to fight out for a place, you know. Uh, he's all, you know, one of the guys is all of a sudden going to have a trident, you know, <laughs> or something like that and come out on top of yeah. everybody. But, <laughs> but as far as all that goes, I think that's the, them brief fact that they are going to be building from within, regardless of where the major league currently stands. But I really think going into next season, regardless of who we, who we get rid of, who we acquire, young guys, old guys, whoever, <laughs> It's just next season is just going to be insane in spring training, and we already have a lot of position battles this season, so it's only going to get even crazier when you get the Boba Shets, Vlad Guerrero's, and all these other guys coming up because Nate Pearson even. There's a lot of young talent in this system, and where I believe MLB Pipeline put us at number nine going into this season for our Meyer League rank for as a team organization. I wanted to get the panel's impressions, starting with you, about how much stock you put into what 2018 really means to the fans. Because here we are talking about how philosophically people should brace themselves for a hopeful year or a year of reckoning that everyone is predicting could lead to calamity. God forbid, 72 wins, nobody tuning in in August, 15,000 showing up in September. How do you reconcile the excitement of 2019 and what it means to have those kind of elite prospects and the way fans should treat 2018 in the grand scheme of things? Really, I don't think whatever the Jays do, is 2018 is going to be a disappointment. If they finish like second last in the AL East, I think people can understand that. But if they go in the playoffs, I think people can understand that this team, it has such like a high ceiling, but then it has such a low floor as well. Like, because a couple injuries in this team isn't very good. But then you look to like 2019, you have Vlad Guerrero Jr. coming up, Bobby Shett, two of like the top prospects in baseball, which will get more fans into the, into the Rogers center because you have Donaldson now, but you can have Guerrero for like seven years, if not longer of control in the majors. And like him and B are like two of the most exciting players to watch in the minor leagues and just having them up would be huge in 2019 for the fan base. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to just say I, I don't think this, we're going to write this season off one way or the other. I really think they have a team that can compete and be a playoff team. Fangrass even seems to think we have a shot at it. So what we can't be too far out. But if it does implode, I think this will be a successful season, even if it implodes, as long as the talent is unloaded. Um, I don't want to see us hanging on to Marco Estrada and all the other one-year guys when we could get some prospects got to even build this great farm system even more. So I, th- I think the biggest thing that would be the biggest problem for the Blue Jays is come July to be on the cusp. I'd love to see them run away with it a little bit in the first half to give get a cushion. But if they get to that point where they're just building – and building and kind of toiling around the level of like being four or five games out instead of two or three. That's where I think it gets to the point where some issues could arise because maybe they hold on to all the guys push for it. And then next thing you know, we got a bunch of free agents at the end of the end of the season. Don't get any compensation back. We already have a wonderful minor league system. If there's a chance to build it anymore, I think you have to take it. The weird thing is this year is such there's such a wide variance. Like it could go so many different ways. Like the the latest I think I saw Fangraphs projected the Jays to win eighty seven games this year, which I thought was actually pretty high. Um and then there's others who feel like this team has doesn't have the roster to compete. Um in the American League East with, you know, the Goliaths like the Red Sox and the Yankees. Um but I think for the most part, the fan base kind of re- understands what's going on here. I mean, if this, if things do go sideways, um, there is a lot of talent um, that Craig said that could be unloaded at the trade deadline. And there are a lot of really exciting prospects in the minor league system. I think that's kind of what's really tying people over right now, that if things, you know, if things go sideways in 2018, at least there's, Bichette on the horizon. At least there's Guerrero Jr. and Alfred and and Nate Pearson. Like there, there is hope for the future. Um, but I, I think people just don't want to get too excited. But at the same time, they're not really all too down on 2018 either. I feel like I'm kind of in the middle, maybe towards the trying to get excited because I mean this team does. They didn't make a sexy off-season move. They didn't get Stanton or they didn't sign Darvish, but um, they've plugged the holes that they needed to plug, and they've got tons of depth now and guys coming back from injury who you're hoping are going to be um, plus players like Sanchez and Donaldson and Travis. So um, things to me are like setting up that they, at the very least, should be in the hunt for a wild card because, you know, given the results from last year, they really didn't have to finish too many games above 500 to be in the hunt. So. Um, I would definitely expect them to be there, and um, at the very least, 2019 and beyond looks looks pretty bright for this club. It's interesting to think that this is a, a baseball team which has such a wide yield of potential on both sides. This could go really well this year, or it could go horribly wrong. But it seems like, as you all mentioned, there's definitely something to look forward to. And and really, that's all that Rodgers can right now hang their baseball cap on. Because really, how are the Blue Jays supposed to stay relevant in this market when we know that come a month, month and a half from now, when the basketball and hockey playoffs begin, that the Maple Leafs and the Raptors will be where fans put their focus on? And only the most hardcore of baseball fans, all, you know, 73 of them will gather to watch the Blue Jays on a Tuesday afternoon playing hooky from work because that's what some Blue Jays fans do. I used to do that a long time ago. And I'm sure that you guys are all nodding in agreement. If you love your team, you're going to follow your team. And all you can hope is that your team is respecting you as as the fan. Craig, starting with you, will Blue Jays fans walking out of the season feel respected when all is said and done? And and why do you think that is? Well, first off, I don't think it's fair to ask the Meyer League guy about what's going on up there. But oh, you better believe <laughs> you better believe it because you said in advance, like you know what's to come, and that's fascinating because I'm not going to disagree with the enthusiasm of everyone's collective optimism optimism but i'm also a realist living in the present who understands that 
as a fan, I've got to be respected. Will the 2018 Toronto Blue Jays, from management down to the players to all the marketing and branding and personnel involved with it, will I walk away from this year feeling infinitely better than what happened last year? I really don't think it can get much worse than last year. I, Regardless of who possibly gets hurt or anything or what kind of bad luck we can have this season, there is no way in hell it can be as bad as last season. You, Our best pitcher, arguably, in Aaron Sanchez, is based on the year prior to last season. He's gone the whole season. You had Josh Donaldson having nagging injuries right from spring training into the All-Star break. Really didn't turn it on until his second half, and we saw the real Josh Donaldson. I still think he put up incredible numbers, regardless of the fact that he wasn't 100%. But there is no way I think we can have that bad of luck two years in a row. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, and I only know what bad luck is. But (laughs) I don't think it can ever be as bad as anything I see in any of my other favorite sports teams. I still think one way or the other, I got tickets for the Yankees series in July, and I'll be up, it sounds like, to goof around possibly in May. So one way or the other, I'm excited, and I'm going to be in that ballpark one way or the other. From a fan perspective, I feel like as long as you have the the hope that there's something on the horizon. Um, so I compare this to, like, what's going on in Miami right now or Tampa Bay. Like, if you're a Marlins fan, if you're a Rays fan, there's – there's no hope. Like you were just basically hoping to press the fast forward button into 10 years and hope that the team has a 500 record. Um, in Toronto, they're kind of trying to do a dual thing right now where they're trying to remain competitive while at the same time trying to restock the farm system. And I feel like this front office is, once they've taken over, I feel like they've done a really good job at kind of doing both things. It's a, it's a real duality of trying to be, competitive at the major league level, but also while trying to restock your minor league system. Um, so when all is said and done, whether the Jays make the playoffs this year, whether they win 75 games, so long as, um, you know, the front office is just being real about it. Like, don't try and pretend that this team is going to be competitive if they've gutted the major league system. Like, I think most people understand that a team full of prospects is probably not going to be competitive at the major league level. So, um, you know, just be real about it. Don't um, don't try to fake things with the fans because they're very perceptive and uh, they can catch on to things like that. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Ian. And, like, I still think people are going to show up to the Rogers Center no matter what because so many people just, like, going, spending, like, a Saturday afternoon there in the summer just watching a game. And then so many average fans don't even really know, like, the guys 25 to 8, like even 15 on the 25-man roster. So if those are the guys that are getting subbed out, I don't think like the like just the average fan would really notice or just like someone that just goes to Rogers in the odd time. It's more the hardcore fans that you really need to, like the front office needs to be like straight up. And if they're going to like blow it up, they should just say it like, or not like say it straight out, but just be like upfront about it and not do like half of it. Like, if you only trade, like, half but keep a shot, I think they need to either go for it this year or just, like, blow it up at the deadline. Yeah, and, I mean, they've got the the talent is there. And um, I, I feel like this, the fan base is – it's been reinvigorated regardless of what happens with this team anyway. Like, you know, the playoff drives of 2015 and, and 2016 really – reinvigorated interest in the Blue Jays, um, especially among younger fans. And um, regardless of whether it's a 90-win team or a 70-win team, fans are going to come anyway. Um, you know, there may not be 3 million-plus fans to watch a 75-win uh, team, but there definitely is going to be TV interest. I mean, there was, like, record TV numbers um, for Sportsnet last year, so... It's um, the more they win, obviously, the more eyeballs and the more interest that's on the team. But I feel like uh, their playoff drives have already um, made people aware of the Blue Jays and, and fall in love with this team again. I do have to say one thing, guys, at least as far as all this fun is going, that one way or the other, this offseason, they didn't sell us the – we didn't get the big B.J. Ryan. We're not being sold Ted Lilly as being the next answer in our starting pitching rotation. We don't have to worry about Miguel Batista, those kind of things. 
So it's not the Angry Bird freaking dismal years. I still don't feel like one way or the other. But um, all these nice piece parts that they've picked up over the off season, they haven't been selling as this is the you know best thing that's ever happened to Blue Jay baseball. So I think one way or the other, it's been a nice little off season that it should fans should be excited about, regardless of you know who might stay or go from the roster as it currently sits. Yeah, it's like I forget who the writer was on Fangrass, but you know, Blue Jays had a sneaky good off season. They they got a starter, they filled up their infield insurance, they got some outfielders, they picked up a reliever, and uh, many of these guys are, beyond, are on team control for beyond this season. So um, they did everything they needed to and more. Um, they didn't get Lorenzo Cain, unfortunately, or, or Stanton, but. Um, I feel like they have many adequate uh, subs here, so I think they'll be fine. Yeah, out of the guys that could have been free agents, this guys, out of all of you guys, is there anybody that was really super exciting that you pictured as the next best Blue Jays baseball player? I couldn't picture you Darvish in a Blue Jay uniform and loving him for any reason after all the Texas stuff. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, I, I, there was a, a few that. If they if their price came down, it would seem like a good fit. Like Lorenzo Cain to me, um, checked off a lot of the Blue Jays boxes. But yeah, as you said, Darvish. It's kind of I think everyone the way things went down with the initial bidding with the when he went to the Rangers, everyone thought he was going to the Blue Jays. It would have been nice to see him in a Blue Jays uniform, but it's again, it's like that thing that you wait you wait for that's on sale for. Um, weeks and weeks and weeks and then it finally comes down to your price and then after you're like well i don't really want it anymore like you know the thrill <laughs> of the chase is over see i thought i really wanted them to sign tyler chatwood just as like a fifth starter and then i saw what the cubs offered i'm like uh they could probably just get someone else but a lot of the free agents it would have been nice to sign kane or arietta or darvish but it's just like the term and the price just doesn't make sense for this team especially where they're going forward yeah, the going forwards, I think, the key. Well, one thing's for sure. This will be a season of unlimited, endless intrigue. And there'll be plenty to talk about, lots to write about, I'm sure. I guess my fear is, in hearing all three of you talk about how we rationalize what they did during this off season, is knowing that they, they being the front office, could take the fans for granted. And simply, as you characterized, uh, Craig... They'll say, look, we're marketing a rosy future, so don't be too alarmed with what you see today. And a lot of the moves made during this offseason were, were, were smart moves. I, I think at first, I don't know how you all feel about this, but there was a bit of cynicism at first when Diaz was acquired and then Solarte. There was still this developing mentality that, oh, those are just frugal, cost-effective moves with middling players. But what's interesting about this edition of the Blue Jays, and I want to start with you on this, Ian, is the perception of knowing that virtually every single position player on this roster has something to prove. That for whatever reason, whether it was the product of the poor year they had last year or their contract status or um, their fading star, it seems like veteran, rookie alike, there's a real sense of competition and whomever gets left behind will probably not fall into the 2019 blueprint. Yeah, well, also that there's um, there's finally like two and three replacements, it seems like, behind every position, which is um, very encouraging because last year, you know, you saw Josh Donaldson go down, Troy Tulowitzki, Devin Travis, and you're getting guys like Darwin Barney and Ryan Goins um, taking up the bulk of play in the middle infield and um, you're getting the low-level replacement at two premium middle infield positions, and um, that is definitely something you don't want. But they they didn't make any really sexy moves. But as I mentioned, they've they did what they needed to, and they they raised the floor and they they covered their depth issue. And um, ultimately, I feel like that's going to be beneficial. And then finally, you've got the the minor league guys who are developed one more year and. Um, you know, I think our Anthony Alford counter might be up to five now, but you know, just like guys like him, somebody who has such an incredibly high ceiling and you're just, you know, practically begging for the Blue Jays to call him up, but they can't because um, they're still getting fairly good production 
out of center field right now, but um, the second they, they aren't, um, they can make that decision, and you can't really fault the front office for doing something like that. As far as the future goes, there are three, I, I will say it again, three top catching prospects in the Blue Jays' top 30. When the hell was the last time anybody could say that? <laughs> Usually it's one that's like J.P. Arrieta and Sebia, or we go back to like Ken Huckabees and Kevin Cashes. So, and uh, two of those guys are probably going to start in Buffalo right at AAA and going to be fighting for time with Reese McGuire and Danny Jensen. So I'm excited one way or the other. Um, I think I hit the nail right on the head as far as when was the last time we had this kind of a logjam in getting guys into the 25-man roster? I just can't remember any time in Blue Jay history that I am aware of, especially at every position. And then I think a big reason, too, like you guys mentioned, is that they all had another year in the minor league because when and Thopless blew this up, like with Shapiro and Atkins trying to rebuild the system, all those guys last, like, we're all two, three years away. Now they're all like ready to contribute to the MLB or they're still one year away. So you're getting all those prospects they acquired just coming up at the same time, ready to contribute at the MLB level. No, I was, I just think there's something to be said too, that they were actually all playing throughout the minor league system together too. You know, it's one thing to be, you know, Teoscar Hernandez or somebody like that coming into the fold, but it's another when, you know, Danny Jansen, Ryan Brucky have been a battery through, since single A up, you know, things like that. You don't get that kind of thing when you are grabbing parts from all over the place. So I just think that's something that they've been doing very good. They're sticking with their own guys, too, and bringing in good talent on top of that. Yeah, Ari's mentioned this off the top, but, like, nothing nothing is a given, really. I mean, there's certain positions where, obviously, you know, Donaldson is camped at third base, but somewhere like center field, if, Pilar falters, maybe you move Gritchick over to center, or maybe you call up uh, Alford, or if uh, the Granderson-Pierce platoon doesn't pan out in left field, you, you call up uh, Teoscar Hernandez, and then you've got, if Devin Travis goes down to injury, you've got Oledmus Diaz and, and Salarte, and there's just so many interchangeable moving parts. Um, I mean, it's Kind of a weird comparison kind of here, but it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, like Tampa Bay Rays, like circa two to three years ago, where they've got just like a lot of interchangeable parts. Like you don't really know which position, uh, which guy is going to play in any given game, which is a good thing because you need versatile players. Um, <laughs> as we saw on the roster last year, like guys who were just one-trick ponies really kind of uh, – pulled this team down and now all of a sudden you've got guys who can play two, three, four positions on the diamond. And, um, it really sets up the blue Jays, uh, to be a lot more flexible in 2018. Like a roster full of Ben Zobris. Yeah. I think we're still, they're still kind of trying to find, uh, that suitable replacement. I think, um, Mike Wilner and Jeff Blair mentioned it on the fan a few days ago that they're trying to, uh, kind of morph, uh, Guriel into that player. Um, I don't know if they'll ever find their Ben Zobris, but I think everyone is definitely in major leagues is trying to replicate that, like the Marlon Gonzalez's of the world. Um, you know, the multi-positional guy who's a, a plus bat, plus defender at whichever position he plays. So truly, in many in many respects, if you're tuning in to listen to this roundtable, it may have started with the glass half empty, and we quickly filled the rest of it up. And And I guess that's a good thing. Because I'm perfectly willing to concede that the Blue Jays will be free-rolling, if you will, into the season. That Regardless of what happens this year, if, if they win and are competitive and manage to somehow reach that second wildcard spot, which, which isn't that daunting when, when we know what baseball did with the tragic rule itself, it's, it's surreal. You can stay competitive by being a 500 team for a very, very long time in this league now. And let's say they do get a taste of the playoffs. I think that'll be gravy knowing that this team will be radically different, even if they do put some success together. So hopefully we can hope there's a brotherhood. And, and, and that was a great observation, Craig. This is why you truly are, in my eyes, the minor league, preeminent minor league guru. It's all about chemistry Appreciate and brotherhood it. and developing a sense of camaraderie early. So you bring that competitive, competitive spirit with you. And the Maple Leafs have done that well, especially with players like Connor Brown, and, uh, you know, those that have an expectation of winning, Mitchell Marner, players like that. So we'll definitely see what happens. Gentlemen, 
This was a really phenomenal round table. Let's uh, let's go around the horn here, and we'll start with Cole and then Craig and, and Ian can wrap us up. Tell me what you're working on, some articles you've got published, and how my listeners can find you on social media. I just did an interview with Tristan Pompey earlier today, so I plan on right now one up, just talked about like him playing Kentucky, just getting ready for the draft again, like what his expectations are for himself. And then you can just find me on Twitter at ColeShelton91. All right. Well, as Ari has named me the Minery Guru, so um, you can find me at Craigers1221. And I've been working on my new gig outside of uh, Jay's Journal, which I've been unfortunately having some slacking off on my uh, front lately. But I have been also working on the summary of our top 30 prospects list so I can get everybody else's names that helped write that list this year on the jaysjournal.com. Um, but find me on the new deal that I'm working on here. I'm just trying to get a kind of a daily, everyday, quick cast thing going on along with Adam Corsair of the South of the Sixth podcast, and I have been putting together a show that we're going to do actually live during certain Blue Jays games. Right now we're kind of shooting for weekend afternoon games. Our next show is going to be Sunday, this Sunday against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and it is the bird-watching GC or the GameCast. So find us at Twitter as Birdwatching GC, and also the site that we work off of is Mixler.com, and it's also Birdwatching GC on that as well. So please chime in, find us, and we have a live blog running all the time on that for a chat window. So please join us and ask your questions. All right, and uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at BlueJayHunter. Uh, currently working on a piece on, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, Anthony Alford and whether, you know, we may actually be underrating him uh, entering uh, entering the 2018 season. I know a lot of people, there's was a lot of press and a lot of uh, articles written about Vlad and Bo, but, um, you know, maybe potentially Alford is a uh, higher ceiling than we thought. So working on something on him. Uh, I've also got a thing uh, coming out. Uh, eventually, uh, on the comparison, swing comparisons with uh, Josh Donaldson and Bo Bichette, it's really interesting, uh, kind of like a side-by-side look at how uh, what their swings look like. And uh, in the future, probably also going to work on uh, an article about how uh, restructuring of potential contract extension for Josh Donaldson and how uh, the Blue Jays could get creative um, potentially by front-loading a contract for him. Um, seeing if they if they want to explore that avenue, and uh, you can find that work uh, at BlueJayHunter.com. I also do some uh, writing for Sporting News MLB as uh, there as well, so that's where you can also find my work. Well, gentlemen, you have nothing but my utmost respect for being three phenomenal baseball writers. I love reading your work. Keep up the great work, and you have been listening to Ian Hunter, Cole Shelton, and Craig Borden. Here on the Jay's Journal Podcast Roundtable. Gentlemen, pleasure having you on the show and coming to chat with you soon. Thanks, Thank you. Pleasure as always, buddy.